We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. but I'd sign up to watch four of those Spain-Germany matches a day. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Match of the tournament for me so far, and a really interesting match. There were mistakes, there was sloppiness, but there was a technical level that was just really outstanding and enjoyable to watch overall, and I really enjoyed that game. And it's an interesting game to lead with because there are huge surprise results the rest of the day. Belgium losing Japan. Not that Japan were considered titans in this tournament, but having beaten Germany and falling to a Costa Rica team that was absolutely battered by Spain, some shocking results, leaving groups in really interesting uh, situations now going into the final match day. So we'll get to all of that. Um, As you are listening to this, I will let you know that tomorrow, well, so it depends. If you're listening to this, still Sunday, then tomorrow there will be a main Arsenal Vision podcast that'll come out bright and early UK time, uh, super late in the evening, Sunday night, US time. Then there will also be a World Cup Daily Monday. So you're going to have two pods for that. As a reminder, if you want to see a scouting video from Mudrick, as those um, links get stronger, that is up on the Patreon, as is one for, and in that one there's Jesper Lindstrom, and then there's one as well for Danilo and um, Facundo Torres and a mystery guy. So stuff over there if you want it. But if you don't, happy to have you here. Happy to talk about the World Cup and always happy to do it with Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil, Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. That was fun. I that completely fun. agree. I enjoyed it. And I'm happy to talk about it while it's still fresh in my mind and I can't say anything stupid that I've forgotten. See, it's fresh in my mind and I can say loads of stupid stuff. I hate that I've committed <laughs> to the bit of saying Phil Costa in the intro because like, I trip over it every time now, but whatever, it, you know. It is what it is. Once I commit to the bit, I commit to the bit. Commit so, to the bit. Commit, commit to the bit. to the bit. So let's talk about Spain and Germany who committed to the bit of uh, excellent, high technical quality European football and, and really entertained in a game that so far for me is the best of the tournament. It's interesting though, because amongst all of the high quality football, there were just some basic errors of the way defensive mm-hmm. lines were being held. Really poor decision-making in the final third is the only reason Germany don't win it late. Spain don't win it earlier. So it, it was a game that had a little bit of everything. I'm curious if you had to sort of pin a headline on this game, it, it's a hard one to do, but what would your headline from it be? What's your biggest takeaway? 
I mean, the, my headline is there's levels to this. You know, there's levels mm-hmm. to this game and and we saw them in that 90 minutes. I mean, you mentioned some of the mistakes, but I thought in general, the the patterns of play, the pressing, the technical level was just so much higher than anything we've seen um, in the whole tournament, really. And that's not um, a slight on any other teams. It's just that these two teams... A, have a lot of good players and B, have good coaches as well. So that makes a difference when you haven't got too much time to prepare and to, you know, elaborate deep tactical plans and pressing routines, you know, at the end of the day, player quality reigns supreme. Um, And, you know, the opening stages were quite even. I thought both sides were passing through the thirds, escaping some, some early pressure. Then about 15, 20 minutes in, Spain slowly began to take control and they were pressing Germany in. Um, you know, their technical level was really shining through and their their press, I mean, it was, they were swarming around Germany and it's amazing when you consider how effectively Spain do it because you look at their team and you don't see any players that, that make you go wow in a kind of physical sense, you know, they're all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. technically gifted, but you don't have one kind of player in there that you think, you know, his strength is his physicality, but they're just so organized, so quick to get it back and and Germany really struggled early on. Um, and even though it was level at halftime, I thought Spain were were the better team. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's about right. With the thing make that that adds something to this game, I think is just the bevy of young talent on display. Really seeing a new generation of great players come through. Gabby and Pedri for Spain are exceptional. Musiala though winds up really being one of the stars of the game, if not the star of the game. You want to just take a moment to to talk about Musiala and the game he had and the, the talent he has in general? Oh, I mean, like, in close spaces, I don't, I can't think of many better, honestly. Um, yeah. Just the way he receives the ball, he can wriggle away. You know, there's some words that really describe football as well, and I think slalom is is a really good one for, for Musiala. He can just sort of lean left and lean right, and he's got past one, and he's got through another challenge, and I, I'm just, you know... You can you can only marvel at that kind of technical quality, and it's a massive shame that he's wearing Germany colours because he should be part of this um, exceptional English group. And it's a shame yeah. that he's not because you know there's always room for one more, even if Gareth, Gareth Southgate won't pick them. Well, um, the, fl- the flip side is he could also be playing for Chelsea's. So, you know, he could swing, swings and roundabouts. Nobody wants that. <laughs> no. um, you know, there's there's that famous picture of him and Jude Bellingham both in the England shirt. You know what could have been, but. You know, I Pedri as well. I mean, there were. I don't think he was as influential on the whole game as he was against Costa Rica. But there were just some moments where you think this guy's nineteen, or, or you know, just turned twenty two days ago, and he's the composure and the elegance and the the spatial awareness. He's kind of like Bukayo Saka in a way. Of very early on, you could see the football IQ. You know, you could see that he was just mentally in- extremely intelligent and there were just some moments some pirouettes that you think wow you know to to be able to do that in a in a sea of shirts and chaos it's just amazing and you know Gavi I like I like him he's very industrious you know on top of the technical level but I don't think he's close to the other two actually in my opinion and I think cuz Pedri and him are kind of similar ages I think they get banded together Mm. Um, but for me, Pedri is, is just levels above, um, you know, two, two or three amazing players really. Yeah. Um, there were, there were fun moments in this. First of all, I don't know why I felt something about Rudiger's goal being disallowed was 
hilarious because of the celebration and just how goofy he is. And then Rudiger's just just a weird guy. Did you see that like weird run that he did against Japan? The high when step? He was going, yeah, 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 yeah. The high step. And it's like <laughs> he just has these weird moments. There's always one a game where he'll just stride out of defense and blast a shot over as well. And it's like. You know, he's done it again. Drink, you know. It's um, funny because that high step run is a thing in the NFL. It's kind of like a showboating thing that, that that's right, done okay. in NFL. So I, it's not that unusual to see, but I can't remember ever seeing it <laughs> in, in international football before. No, no, just weird. And then there was that mm-hmm. comedy moment at the end of the Goretzka pick and roll where Busquets went straight into his um, into his upper frame, which is, you know, there's a few players on that pitch with a bigger one, to be fair, uh, on the German commentary they were they were laughing and calling it like a Popeye spinach moment. Um, so, can I can I ask you? I mean, did, I guess. All right. Well, let's let's get a little macro. We'll come back into into game moments in a second. But like, did did Flick maybe stumble onto his team now going forward? I, the Thomas Muller up front thing didn't seem to work for me. He brings on the big man, right? The target man, full Krug, number nine. I think that opened things up a lot. Leroy mm-hmm. Sané came on, made a difference. Uh, do you think that he's he's found something here with with Sane and Fulkrug? I mean, I don't. It's not that Nabry's done anything wrong necessarily, so I, I don't want to I don't want to pin this on him. But how how do you think the way this game ended will dictate things going forward for Germany? Because again, staying macro for a second, they don't just need to beat Costa Rica to be safe. They probably want to punish Costa Rica if they can, mm-hmm. because that will be the way they ensure themselves going through. You know, yeah. To be fair, I don't think Flick stumbled on Sane. He was out of the first game through injury, so I think uh, they're just kind of yeah, e- I forgot that. Yeah. They're just kind of easing him back. But for me, the full Krug option has been one that's been overlooked. I mean, obviously, he's a a player who hasn't been in this environment much. He's never been, been considered at all by the German national team. But he's he's had a really good start to the season for Werder Bremen. And he deserves his place there. And I think sometimes you just kind of need to lean into the chaos of having a big man up front. It seems very reductive and easy and old school in this modern era of overthinking everything. Um, But sometimes... They cross it a lot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just need someone there to to make himself, you know, a presence and to Mm -hmm. elbow people and to make space for others. And you could see it when he came on you know, Musiala had a bit of space to get closer to goal and, you know, they just have a focal point. And with Muller or Kai Havertz, it's not the same. I mean, I can understand in certain situations it could work, but for me, he's their informed striker and he should and he should be playing. Um, and I think if you surround him with the right players, like we said, Sane, Musiala, Gnabry, even though I think he's he lo- he's lost a little bit of pace, I'm not sure. He just looks a bit a bit clunky, but I guess that's his body type in general. I think he... He can either be very sharp or or quite um quite chunky at times, but you know, he's still one of their better options on on the wing. So I think if if you put the right options around Full Krug, there's no reason why he can't be effective. And we saw him be effective there with an with an unbelievable finish. I mean that that flew past Unai Simon, you know. Uh, he mm-hmm. wasn't getting anywhere near that. It's sort of funny how all the really, really good teams in this tournament, they're maybe missing the one piece. You know what I mean? Obviously, like with France, well. Giroud's a good striker or something. He isn't, but but they lose Benzema, but also like they're playing Rabio. I mean, is is that really like is there a better piece there? And Germany, they have a lot of talent, but do they have the striker to get them where they want to go? Do does Spain have the wide players? You know, do they have the true wingers to to 
to do the kind of things that you saw the wingers do for Germany. You can go through all these top teams. I mean, Brazil have a lot of everything, but they have no Neymar right now. So pieces missing here and there. There were a couple of things. Firstly, I was really not only impressed with the technical level, but there were some challenges flying into this game. And at one point I was convinced this would not finish 11 v 11. Were you surprised at how physical the game was? And I thought the referee did a really nice job because he could have gone heavier into his pocket. I think early on, and and this game could have been ruined by red cards, but also he, you know, he didn't just let them play. By showing some cards, I think he kept a lid on it because there were a lot of really aggressive challenges flying in, which I think only added to the to the spectacle because you don't want it to just be pretty football. You want it to be um, contest a physical contest, and it definitely was that too. Yeah, I think what you said, he managed the game really well because there were some big challenges, but I think there also needs to be a, an acceptance from the referee that at this high level, at this tempo, you can't time every every challenge perfectly, you right. know? And there were some big ones, but I don't think there were any dangerous ones. Um, you know, and there was some there was one from I think Tilo Kera, which was um not great. Um, but there was one from Schlotterbeck in the second half, which was brilliantly timed. There was another one from Goretzka, who somehow had the energy to run back in the 96th minute and dispossess Nico Williams on the wing. Mm, yep. You know, even from Spain, you know, Busquets, Gavi getting getting stuck in. So I kind of really enjoyed that because it just added, like you said, to the spectacle. Um, and it and it was a contest. You know, it was a, it was a fiercely competed game, and and that's what you want to see as long as it's you know safe and not putting anyone at risk. Yeah, and. I mean, if you think about it, the one thing this World Cup hasn't really had is a controversial red card. You had the one red card, it's for a goalkeeper, it's well-deserved, and I don't think we've had the the controversial red card, and that's been nice, right? You mm-hmm. know, they've been keeping it 11 v 11, which has been helpful. Um, so in terms of the goals and, and the key moments, I mean, the opening goal, it's it's a good finish and it's exactly what you expect from Alvaro Morata, right? Just like a classy, I'm kidding. <laughs> he's not known, <laughs> not known for being clinical, but he's been watching Olivier Giroud film. If you know, it's just a nice, I mean, it's not even an explosive run. It's a intelligent run across his man to the near post. And there's still a lot of work to do to sort of flick it with power past Neuer at the near post. It's, it's like proper center forward play. And, uh, you know, again, Murata is not a bad player, but he's a player who's been maligned, I think justifiably so, for his finishing in the past. This is as good as you can ask for from a center forward. It's a brilliant goal. Uh, the movement, the finish is so difficult to execute technically and to beat a, a goalkeeper of Manuel Neuer's quality like that from a strange position with the outside of your foot, it's, it's excellent. It's brilliant. And it's a shame that, Morata is, is not such a killer in front of goal because I think in general his overall play is very good um, but ultimately at the top level you need strikers to put the ball in the net and that's been kind of his biggest downfall um, I, that was an inspired substitution from from Luis Enrique I think they needed a bit of like Germany a bit of central uh, centralism at that moment um, but interestingly enough I don't think the other two subs worked out so well um, I thought Nico Williams and Koke were, were put on to do specific roles um, to relieve pressure, sp- specifically, you know, in central areas and out wide. And I don't think either of them did um, did that at all. So, look, some things can work, some things don't work. I thought the Murata one was, was at the right moment quickly. I think it was eight minutes into the second half he changed it. Um, but the other two, not so much. But yeah, brilliant finish from, from Murata. Yeah, well... 
then you you get the full crook goal, and we'll, we'll wind back to a couple other incidents, but it's it's just a, a clean finish, right? The question I had for you about that, I mean, it's a great finish, but is there a handball in the buildup there on the edge of the box? I, I, only, I didn't see the replay. It looked like, I'm not sure who it even was necessarily who was in the central position there when it was building up, but there was there was a handball shout, I thought, but then ultimately it, it, it falls to Fulcrug for a beautiful finish. I, I didn't see a handball, okay. to be honest. Uh, there was Might one a few shoulder. minutes before. Yeah. There was one a few minutes before with um, Busquets, but um, I think it would have been extremely harsh to give that. But I think Sane found the run of Musiala well. It was a little bit fortunate in how it came to Fulcrug. Mm-hmm. Um, but once he was there, there was no hesitation with the finish. Um, and sometimes you just, like we said, you need someone in there who blast it, <laughs> blast it, just hit it as hard as you can. Because Musiala was in a in a position a few minutes before, and he hit it hard, but it was right at Unai Simon, and he probably could have squared it to full crew. Should have squared it as well, right? Should have squared it. Um, but I think he he saw the headlines and and the lights go on in his eyes. So ultimately, I think it was a fair result. Um, Spain had chances when it was 1-0. There was one Asensio chance that he blasted over. But I think Germany settled well after the goal. Uh, I think they adapted well to the game. And they should I, win I it at really the death. They should He's with Leroy Sané. across, right? Just Sané dink just, it or dink it. Or dink, dink it, right? Yeah. Um, but but I, I just very assume slide it across. I, I mean, mm-hmm. and that, that was what I was driving. Because, Phil, you're at the end of the game. If you're Spain, a, a draw is not a bad result. Just don't lose it. And the defensive line is a mess. And there was one mm-hmm. earlier, Slaughterback saves his own ass in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But where is he standing before mm-hmm. that? He's like two yards behind the line. And all game long, there were balls being played in behind where defenders were just holding their own line. They were like a, a, a line of their own, <laughs> would be my headline for this match. And, and what Spain did there at the end, you cannot have the two fullbacks deeper than both center backs. That's just asking someone to run in behind you. I, I thought it was shocking. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to be in that dressing room if, if Sane put it away there at the end. I mean, Luis and Rico would have been curious, um, mm-hmm. especially because they'd played so well before. But like you said, they have Rodri in defense. They made a couple of substitutions, so maybe the line isn't as sharp as it should be. Um, but when I saw him go in there, I was expecting a goal. Um, and I think they were very fortunate that he hesitated. Yeah, well, I mean... In a way, I feel any other result would have been unfair because both teams had mm-hmm. moments to potentially win it and moments where they could have really lost it. There was a lot of technical quality, and, I, and as I said, I think there was a lot of sloppy defending and poor final ball decision-making. But just a really entertaining game played at a very high technical level. Um, and because of the draw now, it puts it in a situation where I'd make Germany... and I mean, Spain's a favorite to go through now, obviously. But especially in light of what we saw with Japan playing Costa Rica, I'd make Germany a solid favorite to go through because I trust them to get the result against Costa Rica. I wouldn't guarantee it. And Spain kind of have to play against Japan. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess they could play for a handshake draw, but that doesn't guarantee Japan to get through. So it's a game Japan has to play. If Japan has to play, Spain's going to play. And that would... That would give Germany a really good shot to get through here, I would feel. Yeah, and it's I, I love these kind of match day three situations where everyone's looking at the table and, you know, which goal difference gets this team through and what happens if they lose and they win. You know, it's very kind of um, Champions League in a way at times on the final match day. It can be very up and down where the bottom mm-hmm. team somehow ends up top and, you know, that kind of madness. So I think Germany needed a result today. And even though it wasn't a win, the earlier result 
kind of reduce their need for a win, if that makes sense. I think they, mm-hmm. they obviously they wanted to win the game, but Japan, you know, really fluffing their lines against Costa Rica gave them a, a bigger window of hope than they may have initially imagined. Japan, any loss means Germany's through with a win. But a Japan draw means Germany needs to win. Here's the interesting thing. I think any scoring win for Germany puts them through if it's a scoreless draw for Japan. Yeah, I think that that is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts to get confusing, but if Germany win by two clear goals, they're through unless Japan can win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it looks relatively good for Germany, but to be fair, the best they've looked this tournament in their two games was the game they had to take seriously. I hate to say take seriously. like they're not, You're not looking past opposition in, in the World Cup, but the one where they maybe respected the opposition a little more. And and so we'll see if they're able to t- to focus on Costa Rica who beat Japan. And we'll come on to that later. But I think where I want to pivot to now is dire, dire Belgium. Um, just wrecked by Morocco 2-0. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, they are not out because they can go beat Croatia and they're guaranteed to go through. They can draw Croatia and have a shot to go through. Um, I mean, that that would be a very big long shot, by the way, if they do mm-hmm. that. But but this team looks broken. And, I mean, can we please, please, please just get Kevin De Bruyne to bring this form back to the Premier League? That's really my takeaway <laughs> from, from Belgium at this tournament. <laughs> uh, you know, sorry to any Belgians listening. It's not that we're picking on you. I just think the flaws of this team are very clear. Um. We highlighted it in the preview, highlighted it in the first game that you were very lucky to escape with a win. (laughs) And, you know, even with a formation change, even with a couple of, you know, other players coming into the side, it was just bad, 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 bad. There's, I mean, there's just no kind of cohesion anywhere. Um, Mm -mm. You know, they they had some moments early on with the the Hazard brothers. Well, it was more Torgan Hazard than Eden Hazard, to be honest. Um, who, who looked like the only one willing to get on the ball and try and make something. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne was, again, like you said, completely off. Radar was 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 all over the place, passing and shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with the switch to the back four to protect Alderweireld and Vertonghen, it didn't make them any more secure, you know? And no. Morocco didn't have to be great to to win this game, which is probably the ultimate indictment. Yeah, I, and I think... Is that, it's, it's just, like, there's always a part of me that wants the teams that have the talent I know to go deep, and I would like Belgium to go deep in a way just to keep Kevin De Bruyne playing, for example, but, like, they don't deserve to go through. They haven't been good enough to have the three points they have. They're still in a perfectly reasonable position if they can beat Croatia. Um, but, and I, I wouldn't favor them to do it. But this is this seems like the end of the road for Martinez and Belgium and this team. And maybe what we're learning from the Spain-Germany game we just watched, it was excellent. And some of the other teams we're looking around at, who are the stars of the tournament so far? You know, Kylian Mbappe, for one, certainly, right? Um, it's, it's a youth movement. You know, football is a young man's game. And as you look all over the world, the players that are really dominating the game now, increasingly it's the 23-year-olds, it's the 24-year-olds, it's the 22-year-olds. And I don't want to go all age curve here, but... Belgium have gone over the curve, the cliff, 
the bottomless pit. And they can't down even the see it. it. They can't yeah. even see the cliff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they left the cliff at a hundred miles an hour. So I, I will be curious to see if they can raise their game um, for, for the last game. And, and by the way, Morocco, let's not just write them off now because Morocco are alive with a chance to go through very much alive with a chance to go mm-hmm. through. Now they're second in the group on four points. They need to get anything really from Canada and see what happens in Belgium, Croatia. And, the way Canada defended today, you wouldn't rule them out. So do you, do you give Morocco a pretty good chance to to get through here? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, they're not a big name in the tournament, but if you go through the the squad, they've got some good players, some good Champions League level players. And, you know, the first goal, just really, really bad from Belgium. I mean, it's, it's a good delivery, but they, they just stand still. They're like statues in there. And then he, and Saïs just nips in front of Courtois. I mean, Axel Witzel, Wake up, yeah. wake up! The ball—you just stand there, and the ball's going past you. It's like it's infuriating to watch. But I mean, the second goal again—it's poor from a Belgium standpoint. They Alderweireld loses the duel. They let the ball bounce, but Ziyech does really well to keep the ball away from Castagna and then escape him in the penalty area. And the cutback is good, and the finish from Abu Klal is really good as well. So. I think they've been mostly decent, Morocco. I don't think they've been so adventurous, but they've been defensively resolute. They've picked their moments. I thought Sofia and Amrabat was impressive again in the midfield. Um, and obviously, Ziyech was actually involved today because I think he's been a bit of a ghost. Yeah. Um, and Hakimi is always a threat on the flank. So absolutely, they've got a chance. And like you said, Canada defensively just don't look strong enough and they'll, they'll fancy their chances. They really will. And I think on the balance of play... You can't say they they wouldn't deserve it. Yeah. Well, another team that you can't say didn't deserve it is Canada in terms of not deserving the hammering they got because they deserved it the way they defended on the counter. They really uh, found themselves in a situation where they ran their mouth ahead of the game or, you know, Herdman did. And Croatia stepped up and spanked them a bit. Now, to be fair to Canada, watching this game, it wasn't that they were outclassed. They just, they did not defend properly when they pushed forward to attack and the spaces, the gaps they left in behind, you just, you can't, you can't have that. You can't have that, those kind of gaps. And I thought there were nice things about their play, good slick ball movement at times. And they did carve open some chances. They, they lacked the final ball, the, the really elite quality to on the end of their moves. So I don't, I don't think they were like totally outclassed in this game, but for me, the story of this game, Phil is really more the, the way they defended when they attacked, it just, you can't, you can't do that and Croatia punish them for it. Yeah. I think the, the gravity of their situation dawned on them quite quickly. Um, obviously the, you know, they kind of needed to win, um, I think Mm -hmm. to, to give themselves a chance and especially having been the better team and lost the first game, they, they probably would have been thinking, why change it? Let's go out again and press and be brave. But there, there's there's quality in this Croatia team that maybe is not present in the Belgian side. And even though it started brilliantly for them, I mean, it was a lovely cross by Buchanan. Lovren and Juranovic uh, completely lost under the ball. And of course, Alfonso Davies gets in there, bullet header, mm-hmm. made up for the penalty miss in the last game. But that's when you need maybe a bit of seniority, a bit of experience in tournament football to just say, look... We've got something to defend here. Let's settle down. And I just never felt like they grasped their situation, the gravity of their situation. And, and it's not unexpected. It's their first 
their first World Cup in, 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 in a, you know, in a long, long time. It was their first World Cup goal in that game. So the adrenaline's probably pumping. Um, you know, and Croatia were just biding their time really. And once they got the equalizer, I mean, there was only one team, uh, I think going to win this game, but it was a lovely finish from Kramaric to, to score things up. But you know what, too? Like, th- this is this is one thing where I think, as a coach, as a manager, you have responsibility. And th- this is this is the thing. This is a talented Canada team, and, and they rightfully topped CONCACAF. They were better than Belgium. They, they weren't terrible at stretches in this game. There are times when you have to recognize what you want to be isn't who you are yet. You know, and I, I know I said against England what really made me happy with the USA is that they played the football. But for a long time, America had to realize that we're not very good at football and when we're in a world cup we're going to have to sit back and soak up some pressure because we we had to respect the stature of the teams that we were coming up against and maybe we're starting to come out of that a little bit but like i get that canada wanted to play that they felt they had the talent that they wanted to play their game but maybe just maybe discretion's a better part of valor here maybe their manager did them no favors with the f croatia stuff and you know we're big because you get a lead there's no harm in sitting on it a bit. There's no harm in playing on the counter. There's no harm in in being a little bit more resolute and defensive and making the game ugly and and making the more experienced, probably more talented team have to work for it a bit. Do you think there is some of that that like you have to earn your way to being a nation that can go toe to toe playing football like Spain and Germany just did with one another and maybe Canada would have benefited in this game from a little bit more um, willingness to play the role of of spoiler of minnow and get their early goal and sit on it a bit. Yeah, I think I think there is some merit to that that idea that conversation, but also there's also a lot to like about a side st- sticking to their principles, you know. And I think sure, let's say they do decide to sit in and and kind of defend what they've got. Maybe they don't know how to do that effectively. You know, uh, yeah, that's fair. They it may could, not be built for could, that. You know, <laughs> you know, it could have been another disaster where defensively they, they were gaps and they didn't know where to stand and whatever. And and this is how they like to play on the front foot. So I think that needs to come from the manager as much as it needs to come from from the team. You know, and I think ultimately, if the manager is sending them out to be um, forward thinking, aggressive, pressing, you know, that's how they play. And and I kind of respect and like that they stuck to their principles overall. It's a positive tournament for them, I think. I think it's a young side who showed a willingness to to go toe to toe with some of the, you know, some of the more established teams in a, in a world tournament. And ultimately, they lacked quality in the final third. You know, that was no secret. I thought Jonathan David was really poor um, in both games that we've seen so far, which is a bit of a shame because they would have looked to him and, and Alfonso Davies to be the kind of the star men to get them through. But I think there's still things to be excited about. And and I'll admit I'm playing a little devil's advocate because I mostly agree with your perspective there. I just wonder sometimes if if there is, you know, if you, if if you think about club football, right? You can be the top team in League One, and you know have seventy goals and be ten points clear at the top, and then you face Arsenal in the FA Cup or something. You're gonna you're gonna well, have that's to. It play a little mm-hmm. differently, right? And mm-hmm. maybe you maybe you can't because that's not the way you play. So, I mean it is it is always the the debate. Look, one of the things that's been really interesting in this tournament. There've been a couple teams embarrassed in their opening game. And then they turn around and they show they have something you didn't expect. Um mm-hmm. Iran got a bit embarrassed in their first game. They win 2-0 over Wales. Costa Rica got 
massively embarrassed by Spain. And to be fair, there are a lot of teams in this tournament that probably could could be and may still be embarrassed by Spain. But then they turn around and they do what they did today. And they they beat Japan 1-0. Did not see that coming. <laughs> um, no, 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 not at all. No. Uh, it, it, they did have four shots, one on target in this 1-0 win. Um, but it, it's a victory that I think whatever happens for them now, and obviously they're going to have to come up with something against Germany if they want to go through, which they won't be favored to do. But even if they don't, I think we'll allow them to leave the tournament head held high. If if they indeed go out, it's not decided, but head held high after an opening game that had a lot of people saying they don't, they don't deserve this. They don't belong to be here. So um, they don't deserve to be here. They don't belong. So how do you look at this game? I mean, obviously it's disaster for Japan, but Costa Rica will feel they've, they've provided themselves at a minimum, some, uh, some pride here for their, their showing at the world cup. Yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, this this match is is now one cemented in their history. Um, it's a a much needed tonic, like you said, after being em- embarrassed in, in the first game. They defended to a much higher standard, although the opposition was not of the same standard. And they and they scored from their only shot on target. I mean, a zero point one two xg, and they they scored, and they needed a, a helping hand from the goalkeeper along the way. I mean. I mean, what was yeah. he doing? Uh, I mean, no, that's just I, a, I mean, that's, a disastrous yeah. position. You know, that's and, you know. it's embarrassing. That's mm-hmm. really, really poor. But also, I think a lot of fingers need to be pointed at the the Japan coach, who we praised in the first game for his ability to turn the game around against Germany and brought on his you know his attacking firepower. And you can understand him starting in a more conservative way against Germany because they were clear underdogs, you know. But mm-hmm. against Costa Rica when you would have been expected to maybe go out and dominate the game or at least... Yeah, why, why no Minamino? The, why no Asano from the start? Like, you know, it's, not, it's Matoma, it's Junior Ito, it's Minamino, it's Asano, all on the bench. Yeah. It wasn't needed and they were so Is it a case of and, just, hey, I, I beat Germany, don't change anything, do it all exactly the same? Is it, is it Maybe, is it simply that? maybe, no. but what worked against Germany was the the attacking influence of those substitutions. You know, and you know that Costa Rica are going to sit deep and look to break. So you can afford to have one or two more creative players on there. I mean, Mitoma's been one of their best players in, in the tournament. Minamino offers them a bit of goal threat. Asano, again, he was on for 15 seconds and he had a shot on target today. It's like mm-hmm. they all eventually came on and made a difference. There was more attacking urgency. The distances between the players was reduced. But But, but why leave it until then? You know, it just really didn't make sense with me and I think that was a, a mistake that was avoidable you know in my opinion I mean there's no guarantee that having started all those players they go on to win the game but the difference between first half Japan and second half Japan was again huge and for it to happen so late it was avoidable massively avoidable and I think Moriyasu the Japan coach will be looking at that with with some regrets and it's it's a huge lifeline for Germany obviously um, mm-hmm. Japan could have booked their place in, in the next round by beating Costa Rica today. Now they're in deep, deep, deep trouble in Germany, very much alive. So we'll see how that goes. If you want Takahiro Tomiyasu talk, there's some of that on the um, main Arsenal Vision podcast coming tomorrow, but obviously training alone, not in the game, not in the squad, injured. Uh, it's unfortunately becoming a bit too familiar of a story. So I think you need to start another fundraiser for some new hamstrings. Um, yeah, well... Get the I, Arsenal Foundation involved. So, yeah, someone tweeted today, and I thought it was a really interesting point. 
a potential hamstring time bomb ticking with these players playing in 30 degrees Celsius weather and then turning around and on boxing day coming back to you mm-hmm. know, zero or, or five yep. degrees. It's, it's going to be a bit of a nightmare. So let's look ahead. Group G and H, the last um, match day two games are tomorrow. Brazil, Switzerland, the headline. Um, that's one where Switzerland, I think, would bite your hand off for a draw, I'm guessing. You know, they're on three points. Brazil are on three points. They they will probably feel that uh, they can get something against Serbia who are on zero. So I would guess they want to draw, but but it's not a guarantee. So I do you expect this to be a, a, a good even match or do you think Brazil might have too much for them? I think it'll be even. I think Switzerland have a, a real knack for leveling out the playing field. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how they managed to do it, but I, you know we've said it before. I just think they're a, a, a you know a seasoned team who know the situation. They know the the scenario, the environment, and they're all very experienced and they know what to do. You know, they're all very aware, very kind of grown men who have been there and done it and they've got a little bit of quality sprinkled in when they need it. Brazil have some questions to answer with Neymar out injured. You know, he's so often the guy who they look to for inspiration to break a a stubborn defence down, to provide a bit of magic. And he's not going to be there, obviously, for the next game, but also maybe the whole group stages. So they need to find an alternative in, in, in how they replace him, whether it's going more direct out wide or adding another midfielder in. I'm, I'm not sure yet. I haven't seen many of the, the reporters starting 11s yet. They usually come out early for, quite, uh, for Brazil. Mm. But how they react to that Neymar injury will be interesting to watch. Naturally, they still go in as favourites, I think. But it's not it's not a walkover by any means this game and and you know we've seen Switzerland upset France before we've seen them play well and go out and go through and and far into other tournaments so I'm I'm going to be watching with uh, with some curiosity in this one yeah well I mean Serbia a chance to set the record straight on who they are playing Brazil in your first game it's very easy to wind up not looking very good but now they'll face a Cameroon team that lost one 0 to Switzerland. If Serbia can get a win here, they they will feel that they'll go into the Switzerland game with a very good chance to still go through, and that game could could be for all the marbles there. So do you expect to see more of the Serbia, the combative, hard-to-live-with, um, sort of, uh, I, I think, what battering ram kind of Serbia that, we, that mm-hmm. we kind of expected that we didn't really see against Brazil? Do you expect to see it against Cameroon? I think so. Um, and I think they've slowly nursed Filip Kostic back to back to fitness and I think he was a big miss against Brazil because he's not only a a massive outlet for them down that left-hand side but his end product is 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 incredible um and when you've got players like Mitrovic, Vlaovic, Milinkovic, Savic, you know that's a big penalty box presence not only in the air but on the ground as well for late midfield runs so I think if they can get him back and starting I think it gives them an added edge because I don't think they gave their best selves against Brazil. And like you said, a lot of that is down to circumstance. But they'll be looking at Cameroon and saying, look, we've got a real chance to put ourselves in a good position here. So I just think Cameroon, you know, they've got some decent players throughout the spine of the team. But overall, I don't think they're as good as Serbia from from back to front. Not a fan of the fact that Serbia field two Milinkovic savages because that makes life easy, difficult when we're talking. At least one of them's a keeper. But uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, uh, 
once sort of the darling of transfer rumors in Europe, Mm -hmm. back on the radar a bit, hard for someone like that to really show themselves in a game against Brazil where you're not going to have much of the ball. Is is he someone that we should look out for to maybe announce himself a bit in this game? I'm as an Arsenal supporter, I'm I'm curious about him. I know Clive really likes him and thinks he's someone Arsenal should be looking at. Didn't see much of him in the first game or, or not as much as we we might expect to against um Cameroon. What do you think? No, no, completely. It's hard. It's hard, right? Because like you said, he didn't have much of the ball. But th- they've got technical quality. I mean, Milinkovic Savic for a you know, to avoid the the normal cliche, he does have very feet soft feet. <laughs> yes, ding, 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 ding. That's another one. Um, you know, but they've got Tadic as well, who's very technically gifted. Um, Nemanja Gudel in, in midfield is also very competent. So I expect them to have more of the ball, more of the play. And when they do need to be aggressive and the, you know, the battering ram to get maybe a goal when they need it, I've, I've, I, I would tip them against Cameroon, I think. Yeah, uh, I'll be curious to see, and that could set up a really interesting Switzerland-Serbia game on the final day. We're, we're, we're lining up to have some really fun match day three stuff mm-hmm. happening. It's great. I yeah. love it. Group yeah. Group H gives us South Korea, Ghana, and Portugal, Uruguay. Um, first of all, in terms of Portugal, you know, we saw it with them, right? When they made the changes, when they got the goal, when they got in front and they played with freedom, they're a different... They're a different team. Uruguay are a team that are going to do everything in their power to prevent anyone from playing with freedom. Portugal seem hell-bent on preventing themselves playing with freedom. So is this going to be one of the most frustratingly dull games we've ever watched as Portugal <laughs> once again fight every urge and opportunity to be their dynamic, flowing best self? Yes, I have a feeling it could be another tough watch, um, especially because Uruguay, no matter what the, 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 the game state or the scenario, will always be objective number one we don't concede um you know they haven't conceded in in the last 450 minutes in the world cup so Mm -hmm. um it's very clear that they will try to sit back and and hope for a moment from suarez if he can get close to the goal um or darwin nunez or or maybe from a set piece portugal the thing is i i don't know which one will turn up on the day i i hope that they go with a runner i really really hope because i think leal might start I see Martin Caceres on that right right side and he's 35 and he doesn't want to touch the ball. It was like a hot potato for him in the last game. Just get Rafael Leal running at him, please. That's a, like your, it's, it's in the, you know, it's gifted to you on a plate, that side. Please take it. Don't put Joao Felix there to have some nice touches and a few nice passes. Get someone running at a 35-year-old Martin Caceres, please. Because then behind him, you've got a 38-year-old Diego Godin, you know? And, <laughs> you know, that's the way. You, I understood, The world deserves to see know, Leao in this yeah, game. Yeah, I, I understood the, the trio that started in the last game, but they've seen the difference it can make when you have players who can go beyond the ball. And you don't need three of them to do it. So please just balance it out, Fernando Santos. I'm, I'm begging, I'm begging. Yeah, I mean, do you need um, both Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva? Like, could you play one or the other and play Felix, Ronaldo, and Leao? You know, move Felix over to the right? Or I, I think Bernardo and, and Bruno is fine. Um, I think Felix is, is is a wonderful player, very get, talented. Or, but or for Oct- me, his best Octavio work, and you know, get, get him out. Yeah, but for me, his best work comes kind of behind the striker as a yeah. as a number ten. You know, where he can get shots off and combine. So I think Leao is a much more natural left sided option. And I think considering his opponents. That's the way. That's the way yeah. for Portugal, especially with Guerrero potentially overlapping in behind as well. Well, let's see if they do it. And then 
you know, obviously that that just leaves uh, was it South Korea Ghana. Mm-hmm. Ghana contributed to a game that wound up being one of the fun ones in the tournament after not starting that way. South Korea were n- neutralized, nullified by Uruguay, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that can happen to the best of you. Any any possibility that this game winds up being a surprisingly enjoyable one that we're not expecting to some extent because of what South Korea was, we were subjected to uh, against Uruguay? It could be. I mean, South Korea have a really neat technical team. I mean, there were mm-hmm. moments in that Uruguay game where they were just bypassing the press with ease. The issue is is this, is the striking quality. They don't have well, anything at all beyond sun, really. And it's kind of that t- hero ball thing where they want to give it to him all the time. And, they, you know, they expect him to whip it in the top corner from nothing. And it doesn't always work um, and you need some support from elsewhere. But I think there's a big contrast of styles here because Ghana will like to sit in but, but, but be really springy and quick on the break, you know? So I think yeah. the the contrast of the slow possession build-up against the high transition counter-attacking football could make for a really, a really fun game. I just hope Ghana maybe lean away from the old men in Jordan Ayew and Andre Ayew and maybe get one of their speedsters out on the wing. Kamaldin Suleimana, really exciting talent. Just give give these guys a go. It's a World Cup. You've got nothing to lose, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, let let's. See. I know I it's mean, not that easy. I know it's not that easy. <laughs> I would say that that tomorrow, maybe Brazil, Switzerland aside, is the least sort of exciting day for me mm-hmm. in terms of what I'm looking ahead to. But we get through that, and then we're into the the last games, right? And mm-hmm. Only two two windows, time slots, right? Because the games have to take place at the same time for obvious reasons. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we get the Iran game against the U.S. on Tuesday. That'll be uh, one to look forward to. Group A, maybe, maybe a little bit less exciting. You get Poland and Argentina on Wednesday. That's going to be an interesting one for qualif- with qualification on the line. Every one of mm-hmm. these days, Costa Rica, Germany on Thursday. Um and Croatia, Belgium, I guess technically has 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 quite a bit on the line. Every one of these days, as I look through it, with the potential possibility of the last one not not being included, has a has a win or go home kind of game to it. So there should there should be a lot of fun coming up. We'll get through tomorrow. Brazil, Switzerland could still be fun, and we could still get a Martinelli or Jesus hat trick. Uh, hasn't happened yet, but you never know. Tomorrow might be the day, so we'll stay tuned for that. Again, main pod going to be out tomorrow, plus a World Cup daily tomorrow. Uh, unless you're listening to this on Monday, in which case. They're all already out. Just go listen to them. What are you doing? Stop working. Stop spending time with your family. Listen to the podcast. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil Costa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My name's Ellie Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you, and we'll talk to you after your country town on the country show.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.